Genesis chapter 2, beginning verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God rested his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had made, had created and made. If you go down a little bit into uh, verse 15, because I want to pause and talk about uh, what God did on the seventh day, uh, just before we get into the, the meat of the message. But drop down into verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. I want to talk about good and evil, but before we do that, uh, God did something on the seventh day. Verse three is, is what is what he did after he had rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had made. For all those seventh day folks, that are out there, um, you might find that in following uh, what was set aside for the Jews, you thought it to be good for you to follow too. But this is what God did on the seventh day. He blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. But let's look at some scripture as far as the Sabbath day is concerned. The argument about worshiping God on the Sabbath or the seventh day is rather childish, and here's why. You're arguing about a day which God had set aside for himself to rest and that he sanctified it for himself from all his work. Uh, go to Luke chapter 13 and verse 10. Luke 13, verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them. In other words, for Gentiles, Monday through Friday, uh, Saturday, excuse me, Sunday through Friday. Sunday through Friday, you can come and get healed, but on the Sabbath, you cannot get healed. There are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him and said, hypocrite, now, when you see the Lord 
stopping and calling you a hypocrite, you need to pay attention. Because when he calls you a hypocrite, that means that you did something on the Sabbath that you told everybody else they can't do. Just like we have hypocrites here in the United States. Hypocrites in politics and hypocrites in houses of worship. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it. He told the ruler of the synagogue, here you are telling people that they can't be healed on the Sabbath day, but when Sabbath service is over, you go out to your stall, pull your donkey out and give it water. You're telling people not to do what you do rules for thee, but not for me. So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it. For 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. What better day to be loosed from a spirit of infirmity than on the Sabbath day? What better day? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. You see, one of the things that you have to understand, you and I, is that truth, when you're not walking in it, will always put us to shame. And all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. And if I may add, if, if I'm allowed permission on the Sabbath day. Now go down to the 14th chapter in the same book of Luke. Look at verse one. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And if you don't know what dropsy is, and I didn't until a couple of days ago, it's when water enters the extremity. We don't know if it's the case with this individual, but it is common that when there is congestive heart failure, that the heart doesn't pump blood enough and water gets into your extremities. How do I know this is because my dad had gone through that episode. And so they would go through extraordinary means to get the water out of his extremities because of the failure of his heart. But dropsy in and of itself, don't know if this individual had congestive heart failure, that may have been the cause to a dropsy. But uh, epidema with, uh, or dropsy is, a, is water in the extremities. And Jesus answered, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath. But they kept silent and he took him and healed him and let him go. One of the things that we, you and I, have to understand is God don't care about you. God only cares about his will. And he will do things without our permission. And he will do things on the Sabbath as it pleases him. These two episodes that we're seeing gives us an understanding that God can do whatever he wants on his day of rest. And who are we to tell him he not supposed to work? Hmm. Then he answered and said, say, answered them saying, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day. And they could not answer him regarding these things. Well, the reason why they couldn't answer is because truth shut them up. Go to Mark chapter two.
verse 23. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and, in, and hungry? He and those with him, how he went into the house of David in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and who also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the son of man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And then when you get into chapter three, verse one, it's the same story regarding a man that was healed with his of his hand. In fact, let's go there. Third chapter, verse one. And it entered and, and he entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? or to do evil, to save life, or to kill it, or to kill rather, but they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out immediately plotted with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Now the story about uh, David going into the temple to eat showbread is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, which we will not read. Why is the Sabbath made for man? First, number one, man is to worship God and nothing else. What tends to happen is that when someone says, says, we need to worship on the Sabbath, you're not really intending to worship God. You intend to worship the Sabbath. You intend to worship the institution rather than the God that created the institution. Second, it is so man could rest from his labor. In fact, go to Ephesians chapter 20, uh, excuse me, I mean uh, Exodus chapter 20, Exodus, I'm sorry. Exodus, the 20th chapter. And look at verse eight. Six days you shall labor. Uh, excuse me, verse eight says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, verse nine. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your sons, nor your daughters, nor your male servants, nor your female servants, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and restored the seventh day, and excuse me, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, some will say, well, we still need to follow that commandment. But now go to Colossians. Go to, go to the book of Colossians. And look at verse 11, starting there. 
In him you were also circumcised, that is in Christ, spiritual circumcision now, and the circumcision made without hands by the putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him having you forgiven having forgiven you, uh, you rather, all trespasses, having, watch this, verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or, watch this, Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking, light, taking delight in false Humility. What is false humility? It is when you are establishing righteousness on your own terms. That, that's false humility. You're establishing righteousness on, on false terms. That you were the one that made yourself righteous. And by doing the Sabbath, that's all you're doing. It's false humility. And there's another thing. Remember in Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus gave up the ghost, that the temple, the veil in the temple was ripped in two. And then 40 years later, that same temple was destroyed. Telling everybody and the whole world that the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Christ. And as far as the Sabbath is concerned, we're not guilty of that, of that commandment. But if you want to worship on the seventh day, there's nothing to stop you. There's nothing, nothing and nobody to stop you. If you feel like you want to, but if you do it to establish your own righteousness, it's for nothing. Because in Christ, every day is our Sabbath. Every day is our Sabbath. Taking delight in false humility and worship and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with an increase that is from God. All right, go back to Genesis chapter two. So we know that God rested from his work and hallowed the seventh day. Now verse four, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of, of the field had grown for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living being. Go back down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to keep, to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it or eat of it, you shall surely die. Go down to chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, 
You shall not eat of, the, of every tree of the garden. One of the things that you, you and I have to understand is that when Satan comes, he will always come with a questioning of God's word. And it's amazing how even, even or either the devil questions the word of God or we question the word ourselves. Because anytime that we question the word of God, it's, it is looking for permission to sin or to continue in sin. That's the only reason why you're asking that question. Because if you and I have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, what business do we have with sin? We have no business with it. And so in order for, for you, in order for people to doubt God, a question must arise in your mind. Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, the 10th, uh, is it the 10th chapter? Yes, it is. 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of stronghold, casting down arguments. You see, the beginning of arguments begins when you question God's word. We all know that good is good and evil is evil. So why is it that we are asking a question to see whether or not God meant what he said by calling it evil? It's because we want to either keep the sin that we're in or permission to participate in it. Well, what about those sins that aren't listed in the, in, in the Bible? What, what about those activities that we do that are not in the Bible? But you see, your conscience tells you that it's wrong because if you're asking for permission that is only telling you that you're looking for a backdoor way to commit sin. We all love backdoors and shortcuts. We like it easy. But to see, your conscience tells you. Because if you're a new creature in Christ, you've been born from above, even those things that you don't see listed in the Bible, your conscience will tell you, you better not do that. So why are you doing that? You're a new creature in Christ. What business do you have with that? Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing, in, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now when it says casting out arguments, it is speaking of Casting down reasonings. You know how we like to reason. Well, it doesn't say that. So I guess it's okay. And so you feel comfortable with that, but you never ask God. You never search thoroughly for the word of God. How many of you know that there are still some things in the Bible that you, have, you and I have yet to discover? Amen. And even if they're not discovered, the Holy Spirit will tell you, don't you do it. Because he's trying to warn you. He doesn't want you to fall. So, so we have to cast down reasonings and arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You see, Satan is always against God. So he's going to introduce reasoning or sometimes that reasoning come up from within yourself out of your old nature. It's all out of your old nature that you want to start reasoning. For instance, like when you're supposed to be on, on, on a, 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 a diet program. You start reasoning uh, and, re and reasoning heavy. And all of a sudden you come to the, you're already, you walk to the refrigerator door already, but you didn't even, you didn't even know that you were there. But you reason. Or when you're spending money, 
You're supposed to be, you're supposed to be saving that for your rent, but you spent it on a new pair of shoes. You're reasoning when you're supposed to be disciplined. So what Paul admonishes us to do in verse five, cast them down. And every high thing exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing, in, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Go to Romans chapter six. We'll get back to Genesis chapter three in a moment. But Romans chapter six, look at verse one. I want to remind you here. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You see, there's a false teaching out there that you're covered by grace. You're covered by grace. Don't worry about it. Grace will cover you. But you see, there comes a place where you are abusing grace. Where you abuse, you and I, we abuse what God afforded us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so what we have to do is cut off all excuses, all reasonings, and bring them into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And it's not easy, but it has to be done. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death. Therefore we, are, uh, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Go back to Genesis chapter 3 now. So always when you're thinking about committing sin, you're going to reason within yourself and come up with all sorts of excuses. When you find yourself going down through a list of excuses, the only way that you can stop excuses is when you crucify it. You bring it to obedience to Christ. You crucify it. If you declare that you are a follower of Christ, well, Christ wants us to follow him, right? See, it's very easy to follow Christ, but, but are we courageous enough to follow Christ with a cross on our back? Remember what it says in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. It says that if, if anyone desires to follow after me, let him deny himself. See, before you can put the cross on your back, you have to deny yourself. You have to begin saying, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to think it. I'm going to change right here and right now. I'm going to crucify it now. Once you deny yourself, now you, the cross on your back, crucify. Now you're eligible to follow. Verse two now, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat. The fruit, the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it. That he said, nor shall you touch it. No, he didn't say that. You see, when you're, when you're using reasoning, this is where you begin to add things to the scriptures. You begin to add things to the scriptures for your own personal benefit. And that's when you have to go back to the word for word explanation of the scriptures. It would have been, it would have been great if Eve would have said, you know what? Let's ask God about this. Because he's the one that gave the word and Satan would have been at at bay, he, he wouldn't have been able to go any further because they would have, they, God would have came on the scene and would have straightened out the whole mess. But what if Eve would have did this? All right, that's first, you know, go back and ask God. But what if Eve would have said this? What if she would have said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, let you die. Oh, I, I think I got that wrong. 
é Adam. What did God say? Didn't, didn't he say not touch it? He said, no, no, God didn't say not to touch it. He said not to eat of it lest we die. You see, what if they would have teamed up? Two could put 10,000 to flight. What if they would have teamed up on the devil? But not necessarily team up. Just be one. one and say Let, let's let's be of the same mind let's say the same thing so so when you're trying to quote scripture and you get it wrong go back to the scripture so that way you can quote it right because we all know in Genesis chapter 20 excuse me, Genesis chapter two and verse 17, God said, uh, verse 16, God said this, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. She got that right. But what if she would have just quoted word for word what God said? But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you should not eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You see, the word would have kept her free. The word would have kept her free. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. But he said in verse 32 that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You see, they knew the truth. And if they would have just been one, they would have been made and they would have stayed, not made, but they would have stayed free. They would have stayed free. So if Eve would have went back and quoted word for word, the devil would not have deceived her. But you see, there was something in her heart that she was after. Because it's, it's natural instinct now that, you know, you and I are, have been born. It's natural instinct for us to ask, why can't I have that? Why can't I go around the corner? Why can't I have that? Because God is telling us that there is a danger involved in partaking of it. And if we abstain from it, then we are free of its adverse conditions. For instance, when, when, when you have sex outside of marriage, STD, sexually transmitted diseases. I mean, God put this in my mind. He, I mean, he always put things in, in, in our minds. He said, why do you want to mess around with a prostitute? Because how many men slept with her that been in her and those diseases are waiting for you? Or, 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 or a, a prostitution is not a, a, a man thing, it's a woman thing too. Why you want to sleep with that man that he's, he's been around with other women and you want to get what he got? I mean, to this date, no one has ever proven sexually transmitted diseases between two virgins that are married. Nobody has ever, put, no, nobody has ever figured it out why is it that virgins that come together in holy matrimony, they never get a sexually transmitted disease? Because it is a sin outside the body and it is judging your body. A sexually transmitted disease is judging 
your body for the error of sexual pleasure outside of marriage. So, if, he just, if, if Eve would have just went back to the word, word for word now, if she would have went back to the word, she would have been on safe, she would have been on safe ground. Go, if you will, to Proverbs 30. We've seen this before. And it's good to see it again. Look at verse 6 in Proverbs 30. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. What did Eve do? She added to God's word. Because we saw in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, what God said. We see here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 3, what God said, but Eve added. So she combined the two to make it seem as if God was okay with it. But here in Proverbs 30 and verse 6, we get this warning. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. You see, Eve wanted to know, and not just Eve, Adam too, because if Adam didn't want to know, he would, if Adam didn't want to know, he would not have eaten what Eve put in his hand. He would have left it alone. He, he would have done what we did in, in school years ago. Ooh, I'm going to tell. But he wanted to know too. So he wasn't guiltless with this. Both are to be blamed. Not just one, not just a woman, and not just a man alone. Both are to be blamed. So, so Eve added to, to the word. So don't add to his word. Amen. If you don't know and you're confused, go back to the word to see what he said and quote it word for word. The reason why the word is not working for you is because you've added to it. You've added to it. Don't add to his word. And, and not only that, but don't take a scripture out of context. You know, isolated, because I, I did that, and then I, I, boy, did I pay a price. You got to put it back in the text to see what it says. For instance, like Jeremiah 29, 11. Everybody know Jeremiah 29, 11. But I know the thoughts that I have for you. I have the plans for you to bring you to expected end. But to see, you need to put that verse back where it belongs and read chapter 28 and chapter 29 and see why God said what he said to Jeremiah, to the false prophet, and to the rest of those who were hearing. We like to lift that up out of its, out of its context, and we do a disservice, not only to ourselves, but to God himself in his word. We've added, and that's where we make a mistake every single time. Put that scripture back in the entire context. I have yet to hear somebody take that verse up out, verse 2911, take that verse, and I have yet to hear people teach it correctly in the context of verse 20, uh, chapters 28 and 29. Haven't heard one since. Haven't heard one. It's not to say that, it's not to say that somebody didn't. It's just that I haven't come across anybody that used Jeremiah 29, 11 and put it back in the context from which it's taught. And as long as I live, if I hear you do it, I'm going to bust you on the spot. I'm going to break you. You got no business lifting that verse out of, uh, uh, verse of scripture and then don't teach about the rest of it, how, how, it, how it works in, in that scripture. Like, like word of faith in Romans chapter 10. 
you lift that one one scripture and all of a sudden you develop a different doctrine, but you you never teach it in the context. I have yet to hear somebody do it. And it's simple. I, I know the reason why. You want to have disciples follow after you so you can get the pat on the back because you brought a heavy revelation. And you're misleading people. Put the scripture back in the context in which it belongs and teach it correctly. If I catch you, I'm going to break you. I'm going to bust you. I'll get up in the middle of your sermon. And I'll break you to pieces with that scripture. I mean, it's time for, it's time for pastors to do that. It's time for pastors to say, wait a minute. Yes, yes. Did, you, did you teach it right? Did you put it back in the context in which it was taught? Well, I'm just trying to make a point. Well, I'm making a point. Put it back. It's not your Bible. It's his. You ain't got to do all that. Yeah, you do. Because you got people out here deceiving a whole lot of folk and you need to, need to slap them upside the head with the Bible. Stop abusing the scriptures so that way you can sound all deep. Yeah, you're deep like a black hole out there in space somewhere. All right, so so here Eve uh, didn't go back to what God said word for word. She added to his word because she wanted to find out what evil was. She knew what good was, but she wanted to know what evil is. And Adam too, Adam, they both wanted to know what evil is. Then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. You see, Satan didn't have a problem with the first phrase, you shall not eat of it, because that's the word of God. Satan didn't have a part with, nor shall you touch it, because that's the deception he was waiting on. But the hesitation, lest you die, was where the problem was, because she, she wanted to avoid the penalty if she ate it. That's why when you're driving 100 miles an hour with the speed limit says 65 and you get caught, that's the penalty. So you want to avoid the penalty by going 100 miles an hour, thinking that there is no penalty. You want to be at ease. You want to be at rest. You want to be able to say, oh, I was worried about that, that, that word about about getting a ticket. Uh oh, now that you're telling me that I won't get a ticket, all right, I'm gonna do 100 miles an hour. And all of a sudden you see blue, red, and white lights. Uh. But I, I thought, I thought, but I thought, I thought. You see, the self-deception always begin, but I thought. But I thought you said we won't die. which we'll get to in a moment. Then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. So she believed the serpent's word over God's word. You know, the, the greatest question that you can ask, ask an individual when you're witnessing is, why is it that we have to die? And who said we have to die? You begin to ask those kinds of questions Here's, here's a convoluted answer. The convoluted answer is, is, well, death is a part of life. Well, let me ask you a question. How can death be a part of life when death is trying to take my life? And then you begin to think about it. You say, wow. So death is never a part of life. It is the penalty for sin. So Eve wanted to be assured of the fact that she will not be penalized if she ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So she's trying to extend permission from eating all the trees of the Garden of Eden except that tree and justify it, but she needed assurance that she won't get penalized. And that's what happens with sin all the time. Well, well, I don't, if I rob this store, I'm not going to get caught. Hence lawlessness. We see lawlessness. 
you know how people want to want to be able to go into uh, the high price stores or the low price stores, your five and dime stores. You want to be able to go into those stores and take what you want and nobody arrests you. Nobody puts you in jail. Nobody nobody bothers you about it. You're, you're able to walk out the store. There, were, there was one video, I think it was out there in California. They were watching, They were, this, there was a security guard that was watching people walk into the store with a shopping bag, big bag, big shopping bag. He put all his junk in the shopping bag and walked by the security officer. And I'm like saying, what are you getting paid for? You, you, you get paid to stop people like this. But see, in California, what they did was they, they made a law. You can only be charged with a crime of theft if you take more than $900. Anything under $900 you can have, it's not theft. Well, wait a minute, my Bible doesn't say that. Thieves, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. The, one of the Ten Commandments is that you shall not steal. No matter how small it is, or insignificant the amount is, you're not even supposed to steal somebody's shoelace. And you get judged for that because you took something that was not yours. You want to be able to do things without getting penalized. And so Eve and Adam wanted to be able to eat of this tree and not receive the penalty. Verse four again, then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. See, all of a sudden she said, wow, that, that makes sense. See, God wanted to keep that from us because he wanted us not to be like him. Not realizing that God created them in his image. What more like God can you be when you've been created in his similitude, in his similar, similarity? Similarly, his, his, ability, his ability to create you like him. You, you want to get a, a, a whiff of, of, of the fact of how God created you. There's nobody like, just like there's nobody like him, there's nobody like you. How, how is that? Well, if you, were to raise, if you were to raise the billions of people from the dead and combine them with the people that are alive today, you will find not one fingerprint is the same. You will find not one retina, eye retina is the same. You will find not one person's DNA is the same. Everybody is 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 an end is literally an individual made after the similitude of God. That's awesome to me. No one star is the same. No one planet is the same. And he knows them all by name. You know, we walk the streets and say, don't that person look like so-and-so and so? Nah. Nah, had it. Nope. Nah. There's only one me. Me, me, only me. Uh, all right, so, so when the woman, verse six, saw that the tree was good for food, so when the woman saw that the tree was good, so that's when lust was born in the heart because she had an eye for what's on that tree because of what's the benefit of it, the knowledge of good 
and evil. She wanted to justify herself for what was in her heart. That's why John said what he said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all who love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. See, she had pride in her heart. Both her and Adam. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And this world is passing away and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God shall abide forever. That it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. You see all the things that were going on in her head? First of all, was lust, it was good for food. Look, with all the food that God had put in the garden, you ain't got no business being hungry for that one. And this was food in the garden that you can't get fat on. <laughs> that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. See all the reasonings to justify what she wanted to do. You see, anytime that we enter into a, into a reason to justify, oh, I'm, in, I, I'm entitled to that. You see, there, there are four E's, especially among pastors and people that are in profession. Elitism, entitlement, expediency, you see, these things, these things are always in us to, to, to allow us to get an empowerment. Those four E's always drive us to justify a reason to have it. Enti in, 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 entitlement comes out of elitism. I'm important, so I'm entitled to it. And then you get empowered. You go out and exercise all the power that you have to get it. And then expedient. You don't care what law you break to get it. These four E's were operating in her. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That was the one thing that she wanted to be assured of. I'll be like God. Well, wait a minute, you're like God. You're already made in his image. So she took of its fruit and ate. That's pride. Remember the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. She was so full of pride because now she got knowledge. Now, now she's wise. She thinks she know because somebody gave her an assurance that she won't be penalized. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Yeah, he was with her. There's no translation problem here. It didn't say, and she went and gave. It says she also gave to her husband with her. So he was listening in on the conversation and he was assured that he wouldn't be penalized. I mean, it's just like Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, remember those two in Acts chapter five? Remember those two? Because in Acts chapter four, the believers that were rich had land, sold their houses, and gave the proceeds, all of the proceeds, to the apostles to be distributed among the poor. But Ananias and Sapphira decided that they want to keep back a portion of it and conspired within themselves to lie against the Holy Spirit. They wanted to tell the Tell the whole group, see, we gave just like they did. The whole amount. And Peter said, wait a minute, you lied to the Holy Ghost. And these men that are standing out there at that door, it's going to come and carry you out. And they dropped. Well, that can't happen today. How do you know? It happened in the book of Acts. And we don't know up to, to, this, up to this day who fell 
because they lied to the Holy Spirit. It's the whole, see, they would have been on safe ground and says, look, Peter, we sold this property, but we only want to give a portion back. We just want to give a piece back. We want to keep the rest because we got some things to do. And Peter would have said, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. No, they wanted to lie to the Holy Spirit. So they had to deceive, they had to conspire within themselves. And here, Adam and Eve did the same. They conspired within themselves. Even though there is no evidence that they talked about it, yet within themselves, they were able to conspire because they agreed to it because it showed that Adam agreed by taking the fruit and eating after her. So she also, uh, she also gave to her husband with her and ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Really in reverse, even though it says opened, I, I would say blinded. I, I, I would say, you know, the open in this regard is blinded. Because the eyes is the window to the soul. That's why it's very difficult for you to resist window shopping. Your eyes are open. And then the heart moves and then you begin to justify and automatically you begin to add up and subtract your paycheck. And then when you don't have enough, you use credit or store credit. Instead of saying, wait a minute, no, 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 I, I can't deal with that right now. You see, if you want to be wise, you would say, wait a minute, I, there will be another time for that. But your mind is like saying, it's on sale, you better get it now because there's never going to be another sale. But then all of a sudden, you buy it at that price and then, uh, then six months down the road, it's at a lesser price than you paid for it. And you're like saying, and the Lord told you to wait. You see, wait on the Lord is not just a prayer thing. You're not going to mess out, especially when God tells you to wait. Their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked and sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. In other words, the shame now. First is the inward deception. First is the inward deception as a result of being confident that you wouldn't be penalized. And then when you have agreed, you begin to engage. You eat. And then after you ate, your eyes opened, you see your shame. The shame comes. You see, nothing good came out of this. You see, you, you're looking for the good and evil, but as a result, the only thing that came out of it was the evil. The only thing that came out of it was the evil. Nothing good came out of it, did it? Nothing but good came out, nothing but evil rather came out of it. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the, cool, in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So not only are they ashamed, but now, they're hiding from God. You see, if it was good, then you have no reason to hide from God. But now that it's evil, you have every reason to hide from God. So they made coverings and they hid among the trees in the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And as we've said before, and, so, and some of you have heard it before and it's good to say it again. God never asked a question for his benefit, it's always asked for yours. Where are you? 
Now, God is God. He knows where everybody is. <laughs> God wasn't asking the question, where are you? Because he, he couldn't find you. He was asking the question so that way you can locate you. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And this is the first time that we see fear 